I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here. Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. I have standing with me a beautiful young lady, inside and out. In fact, I got to spend some time talking with Michaela. What's your middle name? Janelle Ann. Janelle Ann. When she first said it to me, I thought she said Janelle Ann. And, uh, <laughs> but Kayla Janelle Ann, and we got to know each other because... Some other people were involved talking boring stuff. And so we talked about boys and we talked about pot and we talked about sex and we talked about life and we talked about things that Michaela's interested in. She's a really good dancer. She's into dance. She has some really high goals for herself and she has some uh, family, tea and grandparents who love her very much. So tell me, what have you been doing? Dancing, going to school. <laughs> Dancing, going to school. Uh, you know, I have three daughters who are raised now, but uh, this, this one's a quality kid. So it's really great to meet her and uh, show up around here sometime, all right? Okay. All right, it's a deal. Okay. Good job, Michaela. Do you, oh, wait, do you have anything to say to the audience? No, I'm good. She said, no, I'm good. That's a typical teenage answer. All right, remember, May 5th, right here in the Heart of the Matter studio, we're going to have a five-point Calvinist extraordinaire, founder of CARM, Matt Slick, in the house to teach us what Calvinism is really all about and what it's not. Matt had his folks contact us and requested an opportunity to sort of set me straight uh, on Calvinism. He's not convinced that I understand it properly. He might be right in his assessment. I believe I'm right, but I, you know, I'm certainly uh, subject to great error. Always willing to learn. So we invited Matt to the studio. He'll be here on May 5th, a two-hour special. Uh, Mark Bazant will be mediating, but it's not a debate. I just want to make that clear. Uh, we've toned down. We went from um, Inquisition down to uh, uh, Jason Wallace, and now we're down just to low-level flying. Matt is going to explain five-point Calvinism. We're going to use Tulip as a guide, and then I am going to talk to him about uh, what those things mean. I'm going to question him relative to the way I see Christianity. We will be taking calls, too. That's Tuesday, May 5th, two-hour special with Matt Slick of CARM. And with that, how about a moment from the Word? And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. Hey, often in the context of doing church, believers will use Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, to justify ostracizing or separating from people who are caught up in sin or who aren't doing what they should. Uh, have, have you ever found this advice a little bit odd, knowing that like Jesus hung out with sinners? Have you ever thought, why does it say in Matthew 5, uh, I mean in uh, Ephesians 5, why does it say what it says and people use it? In fact, let's just read it. Hebrews, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 says all alone, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That's what it says, and you'll hear that used by Christians to say, going after people who are in sin or doing things wrong and reprove those 
unfaithful works of darkness, don't have fellowship with them, etc. But let's read it again. Listen to it. And have no fellowship with what? With the unfruitful works of darkness. Unfruitful works of darkness. Notice that it says nothing about people there, but speaks of the, the dark things that people do. So don't have anything with those dark things that people do, but rather reprove them. Uh, reprove what? The them, what are we reproving? The works of darkness. So some people would say, oh, okay, I get it. So I won't, I won't ostracize, I won't attack the person, but I will attack their sin. I'll tell them this is wrong in your life, right? I don't think so. Let's listen to the rest of how Paul explains the method to employ of reproving unfruitful works of darkness. Ready? He says, For it's a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. You know what that's saying? It says that it's by the light that we exude, the goodness, the kindness, the love, the light that we exude, the light we shine, that the dark works are reproved. That's what it's saying. Listen to the next verse. Wherefore he said, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So it's all inclusive. In other words, when a brother or sister is involved in unfruitful works of darkness, Christ gives us the light. And when this light shines from us in terms of love and kindness and forgiveness and long suffering, that light reproves their darkness. We don't need to say a word. It's Christ in us that does it. Okay? So we don't need to police with verbal uh, reproofs and cries of repent or we're not going to have anything to do with you. The way we do it is by love and by kindness. With that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we seek you and need you. Uh, we pray for the studio audience, for the people who are watching throughout the world, of course, with our volunteers and staff, people who are struggling, people who want to know the truth. And um, we pray for our friend Michaela, who we got to meet tonight. We pray that she'll continue on and be strong in her life and continue to seek out the help from those who love her. And uh, we just praise you, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to use some emails tonight to answer some questions relative to subjective Christianity and our resistance to the Protestant teaching of Sola Scriptura. Whenever you embark on something new, um, new territory, it always brings up immediate misunderstandings. And if you let those misunderstandings grow, they turn into weeds that overcome the whole thing. So you got to kind of, as you teach and talk and, and resistance comes in, you face the resistance and you address it. So we received some emails of late that have indicated strongly that I'm not doing a good job at explaining what the stance really is against Sola Scriptura and, and how we do view the word. Add in conversations I've had with people face to face or over the phone, and I've come to see that I failed to make myself clear. So let me use some emails, uh, and we're going to start out with an email from Pastor Van of Spokane, Washington, City Life Church. He's become a friend of mine. Before I read what Van asks, we talk on the phone every now and then and text and things. And so I'm cutting right to the questions that he asked because he understands what we're uh, doing. Number one, in your opinion, is the Bible the word of God? Is the Bible able to transform our life with the power of the Spirit? Is the Bible living and active in the sense of being Holy Spirit inspired? I would say the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is able to transform human life in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible is living and active in the sense of being Holy Spirit inspired. Absolutely. Make that clear. I try to make it clear. Let it be clear. The Bible is the Word of God. Love the Bible. Number two. Are the writers of the New Testament considered to be equal with the writers of the Old Testament in the sense of being inspired by God? I would say the writers of the New Testament were as inspired, equally inspired, as the writers of the Old, certainly. But the application is different. 
okay? The writers of the Old Testament, they certainly spoke of their times and of times to come. And they were speaking about a Messiah coming to do certain things. The writers of the New Testament spoke of the arrival of that Messiah and what it meant to the church that he rolled out forward at that time and their letters while inspired were letters for the people at that place and time. The question is, does it have application to us today? I think it does, but in a spiritual sense. I don't believe the scriptural narrative has application for us in a literal sense. I don't think that we have to do literally what they talked about literally in the epistles and letters of the New Testament at that time. In some ways it's applicable, but in other ways it's not, and the Holy Spirit has to decide. Number three, if, and I emphasize if, he says, you do not believe the Bible is completely inspired by God, then why would you read it if it was inspired by man? Well, while I do believe the Bible is penned completely by inspiration, I also believe that God had men receive that inspiration and that the Holy Spirit filtered through their worldview, through their skill. Peter's writings are very different from Paul's. We have a different approach. God went through man and man did produce a product that is partially from, a, from his point of view. It was inspired, certainly. In other words, I believe God chose men and they added their added flavor to the words written. That's not a bad thing. It's not a deleterious thing. It's, it's okay. It just is. But on a side note, in his question, Pastor Van said, is the Bible completely inspired? Now, I've never heard this taught, but this is how I see the Bible today. I could change my view later, take it for what it's worth. But I believe that the Bible, and this is the best way I can explain it, it, in terms of inspiration, it provides 50% of the inspiration. I'm not saying it's not an inspired book. It is, completely. But it provides 50% of, of the inspiration. The other 50% comes from the reader. And they're, they're tuning into the Holy Spirit as they read. There are people who study this book who don't believe in God. So just having the book doesn't mean anything. And there are people who never read the book who just go by their spirit and they get all messed up. So the Bible presents us with inspired words that were written by those men, but we have to come to the table with inspiration to understand that. It's by the spirit that we understand it. It's like the Bible is an engine. It's like a car engine, brand new V8 motor engine, okay? And it's, it's really in good shape, but guess what? There's not a drop of fuel in it. The Holy Spirit is the fuel. Unless you have the fuel and the engine, you, that is how the, it works. It's not the engine alone. It's not sola scriptura, which means Bible alone. No way. It's Bible in hand with spirit. And that is how we, I would suggest it, it works. Okay, fourth question. I completely understand and agree your teaching on the Holy Spirit, but I also teach that the Holy Spirit can never contradict the Word of God. I would agree with that. I would teach that the Holy Spirit and the original writings of Scripture are equal. Would you agree with that? I would suggest that the Holy Spirit is superior, and I don't think they're equal. Um, take the two. Make a choice. And we don't have to do that, thank goodness. We have both witnesses. But take the two and ask yourself over the course of Christian history, what has had a greater influence quantitatively, time-wise, over people's lives, the Holy Spirit or the Bible? Now, we haven't had the Bible for a lot of it. So I would have to say the Holy Spirit, early church, Holy Spirit. So what would you choose? For me, it would be Holy Spirit hands down. And the reason for that is because the Holy Spirit alone, if, if, if a person is seeking God by the Holy Spirit alone, they are going to understand love and they're going to be moved to love. If a person is seeking God by the Bible alone, they could be moved to do all sorts of things, become legalistic, become tied to rituals, to say baptism is necessary, 
all kinds of rules can come out of this alone. So if you're going to have to choose between the two, I would always go with Holy Spirit. Not to diminish the import of the Bible. I would suggest the Holy Spirit is irrefutable, whereas there are a thousand ways to interpret Scripture. That makes it another reason why, I, why we say the Holy Spirit is preferential, the Holy Spirit is primary. The Bible, the Word of God, is secondary, just like the gas for the engine, and the, and the Word of God is referential. We use it to understand those promptings that we get. Again, the Holy Spirit tells me, go grab your neighbor's wife. I open the Bible. It says, don't grab your neighbor's wife. We have, uh, we have an understanding there. And I realized what was telling me to grab my neighbor's wife was not the Holy Spirit. So, but just understand, I see it like that. Finally, the Holy Spirit, when in full force, always causes people to love. Always. If it is fully effective and fully received, the Holy Spirit causes people to love. The Bible, fully effective, fully received, doesn't always do that, folks. So that's why I make that stint. Pastor Van's last question. For me to say that people should not depend on the Holy Spirit should only depend on the Holy Spirit and not the Bible as the Word of God, that it's just a good book to learn from, it's very easy for people to come up with all sorts of weird stuff. Joseph Smith would be a great example of that in the last couple hundred years. This brings me to a really important point that people are missing due to our emails and calls and in our discussion of Sola Scriptura. I have never, ever, never will suggest we get rid of the Bible. Never, ever. I love it. We teach it. It's my book, um, and only rely on the Holy Spirit. That is not what I'm saying. For some of you, I'm sounding like a broken record, but I take the Bible hand in hand with the Holy Spirit. God did not just send us Jesus in the Spirit. He sent Jesus in flesh, and he was filled with grace and truth. He has not left us in the same picture alone with the Spirit alone. He has given us the word in print, okay? So I accept this, love this, embrace this, and see this as God's way of giving us two witnesses, which bring us as close together uh, as humans as possible. But I am suggesting that the doctrine of sola scriptura is a fail because that is Bible alone. They don't even mention the Spirit when they talk about sola scriptura. They only say the Bible. And... Uh, that excludes the Spirit. That's not possible. So I think we would all be better believers if we said Spirit's primary and preferential, the Word is secondary and referential, engine and gas. Uh, okay, got an email from an Aaron S., which adds to my frustration. He wrote, by the way, you're using Scripture to support your positions. Oh, it's so frustrating. Of course I use Scripture. Just get this. I am not saying we don't need it. And you guys might who get it are probably going, okay, we understand that. But people aren't. They're saying, McCraney is saying we don't need the scripture. Not true. We just don't need men telling us that it's this alone. You know, I talked to Pastor Van earlier on the phone and we, uh, he actually, he texted me this and he said, can the Holy Spirit ever teach uh, contrary to the word? No, but the Holy Spirit certainly can inspire and teach in addition to the Word. Now people would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, now you're going down Joseph Smith's road. I'm not talking about revelation that's contradictory to the Bible. I'm talking about additional things that he gives us. There's knowledge, there's mysteries. The Holy Spirit enlightens our eyes where the, where the words and print don't necessarily say that, but we see it, we understand it spiritually. So when the Holy Spirit gives inspiration of things that are not written in black and white, that doesn't mean it's against the Bible, but it can be in addition to. The Holy Spirit could say, Sean, you've got to stop eating donuts at heart of the matter that Larry brings. Stop eating them. Now, nowhere am I going to find that in the Bible. Nowhere. We, I mean, in fact, it says bodily exercise profiteth little. And, and, and what you goes into the body doesn't matter, it says. But the Holy Spirit could say, stop eating those darn donuts. Your heart's going to fail. I could hear that, receive it. That's modern revelation. Is it contrary? No. Is it an addition to? I would think so. So is it wrong? We become so dogmatic about this, we've eliminated the spiritual part. All right. And, you know, uh, 
Last week, we had a caller, and he made a really important uh, observation, which I'm trying to point out. Let, and we said, let's say that, I said to the caller, let's say there's four people at the back of a church on a Sunday, and they've all been Christians for 20 years, and they all read the Bible, and they've all studied it. And one man believes that baptism's important, any mode is okay. Another man believes that it must be by immersion. Another man believes that baptism should be performed on children. And another man believes that baptism's not important at all. Water baptism, okay? So, to the caller, I said, what do we do with that? His response, you go to the Word. And so I went back and I said, listen, they've gone to the Word. They disagree on what it says. So they all have adopted these different points of view. What should take precedence now? They got to go to the Word. Okay, we went again. Why? What are we going to do? They are not, the Word is not, well, if they're properly taught and they really look into it, they will all come to harmony. I don't think that's true. I mean, and history shows us that. So the, the caller says, we need to get back to the Word alone. That's sola scriptura. No, no, no. We need to let the Spirit govern and that people have the liberty to decide how they want to be baptized, what baptism they want to participate in, and to love everybody in the view that they have. That people would say, well, that's too liberal. It is liberal. There's liberality in Christ. There's not law. So forget the characters, and let's just say we're talking about churches. So there's a church at the back of the room that are called ultra-dispensationalists. They say no baptism at all, okay? There's that church. And there's another church that are Anabaptists or Baptists, and they believe they're immersionists. It's got to be by immersion. And then there's Calvary Chapelists who say it's a good thing to do, but if you haven't, well, that's okay. You're saved anyway. Don't worry about it. And then there's an Orthodox Presbyterian who says you got to do it to children. Those are legitimate religions faith movements that make those stances. Forget the individual men. What do we say to each of them? Okay? So the, the denominations all have scholars. They all read the Greek. They all study the word. And they all differ. What do we do? Our caller said, you got to turn to the word. It, it, my point is that we have turned to the word. We strive to understand it. We look into what the word says. We recognize that God has made many, many things perfectly unclear. <laughs> perfectly. And uh, you might think that they're clear, but uh, I mean, baptism is just one. It's not perfectly clear. And that's just one of a thousand. So the answer to the four men, love each other, study together, happily disagree, laugh with each other at our peculiarities, and move forward. One last email from Mike. It says, Hi, Sean. Let me first say that over the past couple of years, I've appreciated your show and your insights regarding Mormonism. I've learned a lot from the things about Mormonism that I otherwise wouldn't have known. Let me stop there and point out how often these emails come to us these days that say things like this. We really, really, really liked you and agreed with you when you hated the Mormons. You were so smart. You were really intelligent back then. You were funny. You were good looking. Now you've gotten ugly and stupid and, 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 and blah, 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 blah. You know, same guy, same guy, same perspectives. In fact, someone told me they went back and they watched the first shows and uh, they said, you haven't changed at all. You have always said, born again Mormon. Listen, let's open up and let's stop. Let's have you been born again. Stay Mormon. And yeah, I've, I use that as a bit of a ruse and I got harder as the years go on, but pretty much the same thing. But see, what's happening is I haven't changed, but I've pointed the focus on you and it makes you mad. And so that's why Mike says this. He goes on, he says, I've been de debating over whether to call write you or not, but here's the plunge. I'm not sure where to start, so I'll jump right in. I won't address everything you said last night, referring to last week's show, but I'll respond to a few things that came to mind while watching it. Point one, first of all, ever since you started your shows on Christianity, it seems that as often as possible, you ascribe impure and otherwise evil motives to the Christians of the past. Why not give the early church the benefit of the doubt? Here's why I view the early church and the historic church the way I do, Mike. One, the word itself makes things clear of how things should be. 
in, at least in general concepts. Two, the history of the early church and the historical church. Remember the teaching, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. If a tree produces bad fruit, it's a bad tree. There it is. I don't know what to tell you. You know, if you read about church history and all you're reading is about bad fruit, then I'm going to see the church history as being pretty darn ugly. And you can't mix it. You can't say there was a lot of really good there and then there was this bad section. So otherwise it kind of balances itself out. No, there's no bad with the Holy Spirit driven church of the body of Christ. Now, the true church, I do not pick on. From Christ through to today, the true church of, of true believers who follow Christ humbly and in spirit and in truth and read the word when they got a hold of it and had the word. And if they didn't follow the spirit with love, I do not pick on the true church line at all. I am talking about organized religion that has taken and made a mess of it. Okay. And then look where we are today. I would end by asking you, Mike, why would you give the church the benefit of the doubt in the history of everything that we can see? Why would you ever give it the benefit of the doubt? That's what all the Christians do. Well, you know, look what the Lord has done. Yeah, he has done a lot of it in spite of what men have done. I'm just saying what men have done is errant. Point number two. As an example from last night, you mentioned that the chapters and verses in the New Testament were organized and you compared that to a deposition asking why the text had to be broken up and asserting that it was for the purposes of argumentation. At least that's how your comment came across to me. Now, I came across wrongly and let me explain. The result of the system of breaking it up into chapter and verse is argumentation. It wasn't done for argumentation and that's what, that could have been my fault, I don't know what I said. But the result is argumentation. When you take a narrative that is presented in left to right and in, in, in paragraph form, sheet form, and you read it, it presents a very different result than breaking it up in chapter and verse, and that becomes the Greek way of thinking and the Greek way of arguing. And so that's what I was saying. It was the result of, our, uh, the result is argumentation, not the intent of putting the chapter. I'm sure the person who put it, or the people, Stephen what, or Stephanos or whatever his name was, who did the New Testament, I'm sure they thought this is gonna make it better. This is gonna make it easier. I mean, when we teach verse by verse on Sundays, there's many times I'll come and I'll see, why would they make the break here? This, this really confuses things. It should be at this verse, you can automatically tell why, because they're men, and they could, well, were men inspired? There are people who believe that men were inspired to put it in chapter and verse and how they did it. I don't know if that's true. Point number three, Mike says, you also mentioned arguments about the meanings of words. Beauty was your example. Personally, I think this is a smoke screen as I've never heard anyone accused of heresy simply because they differed with someone on the meaning of beauty in either the Old Testament or the New Testament. I'm gonna stop the comments of Mike for a second and address this. I use beauty just as an example, not about whether it's ever been debated of how words and their meaning are not easily agreed upon by individuals. Believers have a hard time agreeing on the fruit of the spirit, uh, don't have a hard time with agreeing on the fruit of the spirit, which is love, peace, joy, temperance, uh, long suffering, all those things. When that is present, and it's in your life, the meaning of beauty doesn't matter at all. It's, it can be talked about in things, but people who are full of the Spirit is like, yeah, I think it means that, could mean this, it's interesting, not a hill to die on. The writer's very arguments against my use of the example prove the point I'm attempting to make. Words divide. He's taking and he's saying, your use of beauty, I've never seen... It didn't even get, see, it just shows what words can do. They have to be moved with the gasoline of the spirit or else you've just got a big dumb engine sitting in front of you. He goes on as an example. I remember watching your inquisition in 2014 with a Presbyterian and a free will Baptist. According to the Presbyterian, they're both brothers in Christ, even though one practices foot washing and the other one doesn't. So there are things in which Christians can differ that don't necessarily cause division. Let me stop here. Our writer uses an example of two brothers who have found it within themselves to not let divergent views and practices separate them. Praise God. I'm all for it. 
That's what I'm trying to suggest, that they have accepted each other's varied opinions and let love rule over what the words say. That is the thing we have to get to. I'm all for it. So this was the point in my use of the term beauty. People will define it and appeal to it in different ways, but what presides? How people differ or how we love each other in the end? And I'm just trying to say uh, we have to love. He adds, yes, people argue about the most ridiculous things because we are sinners. This is true, even if we're born again. However, most legitimate scriptural disputes can be settled with literal, historical, grammatical, and contextual study of scripture. Baloney. Baloney. And that statement right there is the standard thing I cut my teeth on as a Mormon who became a Christian, and I heard that. And I became just ardent. And this teaches us exactly what we need to know. This is it. And I used to cite all that. It gives us all we need to do is research it and you'll discover. And I discovered that's just not true. So, okay, I accept your ability to express that opinion, Mike. And you're my brother in Christ for having done it. But the most legitimate scriptural disputes cannot be settled with literal, historical, grammatical, or contextual study of Scripture. They can't be. There's, there's just too many differences. You are certainly allowed, as I said, to believe it as my brother, but the claim is kind of comedic. I mean, we can't even agree on baptism, when it should be done, how it should be done, where it should be done, who should do it, who should receive it. We can't even agree on water baptism. Now, you would think that God would say, this is what I command of Christians. Water baptism by immersion at eight years of age, not older than nine for anyone who believes. Something like that. Even clearer. But no, he doesn't give us that. Why? You guys, why? Okay. And here's the thing. When people say things like this, it's usually because they believe they have found the answers. And when they say the Bible can prove through historicity and through gra uh, grammar and linguistics and all this other stuff, you can context, you can prove what the Bible's saying through those things. It's usually said by people who believe they have found the concrete approach to something. But I guarantee you, show me that person and I'll show you somebody else who is just as good of a Christian who has found another way. That is again why the Spirit must abide. Point four, you also mentioned Greek. Greek is important for the study of the New Testament. I feel like that's a, I'm sorry, but it's like when you were in seventh grade. All right, write a theme paper on bicycles. Bicycles. Bicycles are important to children. Bicycle, I mean, Greek. Greek is important in the study of the New Testament. The New Testament was written in a particular language, in a particular context. The apostles didn't need to go to seminary to study Greek because they already knew it. That's a good point. The Bible is more than just a book, but a book nevertheless. It amazes me the number of Christians who, if they were taking a course in French literature at a university, would insist that their professor know French, yet a lot of churches today don't seem to care whether or not their pastors knew Greek or Hebrew. Well, that's a great point, Mike, but we're not in a university and we are not studying French. We are reading the Word of God and it's known by the Spirit. So you can use the secular approaches to, to uh, argue, but bottom line, it is by the Spirit. I w you can take the most uneducated pastor who, does not har who hardly reads English, let alone Greek, and who loves the Lord, and that guy can teach with the Spirit as well or far better than a Greek uh, scholar. You're missing that point, okay? Uh, I teach the word twice weekly, three if you count this when we teach it, and we're, we always refer to the Greek. I know the import of the Greek language when you're studying it, but you've missed the point I'm trying to make uh, about uh, relative to the word. We have Greek scholars from here to Greece who disagree with each other on almost everything too. The answer cannot be found in the Greek language. It gives us insight, it helps us understand, but even there, the scholars are at each other's throats about what this word means and how to parse this verb, etc., etc. So it doesn't solve differences. And because it can't solve differences, it can't be our solution. Sola Scriptura cannot be our solution. Okay? Has to be the Spirit. Try not to get lost in the quagmire. It comes stuff. Okay. Uh, one more point. I think we'll go. Oh, might be two. I'll go quick. How much time, Derek? 
Derek's asleep back there. 25. Okay. Uh, no one on the phone. Oh, the phones are full lines. I don't have anything telling me. Okay. No more drinking. Danita and Wendy. You mentioned the Lord's Supper. Okay. I'm not going to cover that. It's just more this. Uh, he ends it up and he says... I appreciate your frustration with the modern church. Yes, there are many things that need to be addressed, but turning the Bible on its head, creating smoke screens, and asserting subjectivism isn't the way to do it. I would disagree when it comes to subjectivism. I'm trying not to bring up smoke screens, and I'm not turning the Bible on its head by any means. I hope that's seen. Okay, Sterling in Des Moines, Iowa, Keith in New York, Tim and the Oregon Coast and Matt in Cleveland, Ohio. We're going to get to you in just a minute, but first this spot. We're going to Sterling in Des Moines, Iowa. Sterling, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, brother, how you doing today? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well myself. Uh, it, it's me again. I, I called you last week. I was calling back here to. Yeah, I, I care about you, brother. I, I, I just, uh, I still, I think uh, you're making a little mistake there about Sola Scriptura. What is it? Hello. What's the mistake? Well, first off, I I agree with you that the spirit solar scripture is the ultimate authority, being that scripture is given to us by the spirit. Okay, especially in uh, the New Testament, the Old Testament, it, it was the word of the Lord that fell upon the prophets and all the writers of the Old Testament. But the Holy Spirit, of course, I agree, fell upon all the writers of the New Testament. Okay. So therefore, I, I believe you're, you're kind of in error for making a mistake that the Holy Spirit is who's speaking here in the New Testament. And of course, the Lord is speaking in the Old Testament. Okay. Uh, so where's the error now? You, so the Lord spoke in the Old Testament, according to your position, and, and the Holy Spirit spoke the word into existence in the New Testament. And we have it written in... in ink and paper so what's my problem where am i missing it with sola scriptura okay well to me okay here we can go to second timothy 3 15 through 17. yeah go ahead for all scripture all right hold on a second all right Okay, it says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Agree. So see, you agree? Absolutely. Okay. So 
there can't be any confusion amongst Christians because God's word stands alone. It's okay. concrete. Okay. Absolute. Now, what do you mean there can't be any confusion among Christians? Well, because if we're all brethren, then we would exhort in the word together, not argumentatively. Okay, I we agree. Were, I agree with that. And what, okay. and what in the end will cause us to abide with each other when there's differences of opinion, Sterling? You see, once again, we, we, we wouldn't have the, the, the opinions is one thing, but the scripture says only one thing, okay? okay. Yeah. This is and where we were last week, too. This is where we were last week, too, Sterling. And what you're talking about is theory, but in practice, what you're talking about is absolutely a utopia. This does not exist in the body. That's why there are 30,000 plus denominations. What you are describing here, you're saying, listen, the word is true. We have it. It tells us there's, there shouldn't even, we can have opinions, but the word is what it, the word is. So are you talking about literalism? Are you talking about figurative language? Are you talking about taking everything uh, in the English language? Are you talking about reading it from the Greek? Which translation are you talking about? I mean, it goes on and on and on, Sterling, in, in, as an affront to you, the position you're taking. You're presenting a very nice thing that sounds good, but it does not work when it comes to brass tacks of religion. Well, like, like the question you gave me last week with the four men. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe scripture supports all of them, okay? Okay, <laughs> now wait a second. Now I, I have no problem with that because that's what I would call subjective Christianity. But you can't say that we use the word of God to definitively tell us what there is to do and be and see when you can say that a man who says baptism is not required and a man who says baptism is required and one says it has to be by immersion and another one says it could be any way that if the Bible supports all of those positions like you just said, you are standing on my side of how we need to approach this thing. Well, how is that? Subjectively, I, I, uh, it depends on what a person wants to believe, how they see it, and let the Holy Spirit guide and let their love abide. But, but Sean, if the Bible supports all those men, yeah. then that's us relying on Scripture. It is relying on Scripture. I'm not against Scripture, but it's a reference point. The Holy Spirit guides, but we use the Scripture to see what it says. Absolutely. I'm not tossing Scripture out, Sterling. Don't get me wrong. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong, but I'm just trying to tell you, we read so many different things from Scripture. You just admitted that the Bible does present all of those things. That's all I'm trying to say. We see things differently. So the Holy Spirit has to be there causing us to get over doctrinal distinctions and let people love each other and learn together and try to get to greater understanding with patience and the fruit of the Spirit present. That's all I'm saying, Sterling. Okay, Sean, well, what, what I'm saying is that I, I still don't believe that it's the scriptures that's separating the men. It's the men from the traditions of men. You I know, agree Colossians with you. 2, 8 I agree with you. That. No, I agree okay. with you. I believe it's men who are separating themselves. I agree with you again. Okay, so then scripture would be the absolute infallible word of God because it's given to us by God and the Holy Spirit. Correct? Okay, correct. And so let me rephrase this to you. Scripture okay. teaches us a number of different paradoxical things and we can all accept different things about what it says and get along in harmony and be God's children and it's okay. Would you agree with that? I, w I would agree with that. Praise and, God! And I, We're on the same page. We're on the okay. same page. Okay. Okay, now well, let me ask I, you this. Now let me ask you this. I'm going to put, we got Keith and Tim and Matt, but I got to ask you this. Okay. What if I come along and say, I don't believe in, in the Trinity? What, what, you said if you don't believe in the Trinity? Yeah. What, what if I come along as a brother in Christ and I say, I, I, I don't believe in the Trinity. I believe in God. I believe Jesus was God in the flesh. I believe the Holy Spirit is God, but I don't believe the Trinity and how it's explained. Would you accept me as a brother if I say I don't, uh, don't believe the, the word and the concept of Trinity? Well, 
scripture teaches the Trinity. And I, I, That's I a matter no of opinion. You, that, you know what I'm saying? We, That's we a matter of together, opinion. Sean, if, if need be. No, 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 listen. Listen, Sterling, it's no different of an opinion difference on Trinity than it is baptism. This is what I'm trying to point out. We see Scripture and interpret Scripture subjectively according to how the Spirit is moving in us, how we, what we've read, what we've studied. We have to allow people to come to God with what they have and let Him work through it and the Word guides but we don't become dogmatic and ostracized and cut out because there's a difference on baptism or on Trinity or in any of these other things that divide. You're going to think I'm really too liberal, but I'm not. I'm telling you. Well, I, I honestly, I think Jesus does explain the Trinity. Of course you believe that. It's objective. Not, it, that's objective, not subjective. No, that is completely subjective. It is not an objective tenet. You cannot tell me that the Holy, that the Holy Spirit is a, a spirit being uh, and that is separate and distinct from the Father and the Son. There's no way you're going to uh, discover that. And when you go to the Greek to prove it, you're going to find yourself in trouble. And so we have a problem right there. And we could go on with other things like eternal sonship and all kinds of issues. So it is not an objective teaching. It is what we use to try to keep Arianism in its place and explain God the best we could, but it doesn't mean it is biblical and it has to be accepted by anybody who claims uh, Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, Sean, I think, uh, I think we, should, we should study a little. Because the, the, I don't know how much more I can Spirit, study. It, 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 it really is blasphemy. Oh, I'm sorry. Boy, I'm, oh, boy. Oh, my goodness. Do you realize where you've gone now, Sterling? You said that my saying that is blasphemy. Do you realize that there are people who think it's blasphemy to say baptism doesn't need to be by immersion? I mean, it goes on, and this is how divisions call. Well, 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 wait a minute, Sean. What I'm saying, okay, do you, you agree with me that the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit, correct? Yeah. Hello? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, with that being said, then you would know that Paul or John or any other of the apostles, these are not their words. These words are, are the word of God. Okay, they and were their words with God brother. speaking through them. What was that? They were their words with God speaking through them. There's places where Paul says, I don't speak for Christ. I'm speaking as a man. We have all, there's places in Scripture where they are, but God speaks through men. You got to understand that. If they were God's words, we would have heard the voice and it would have been written down that way. It came through men. Read Geisler. He explains that really well. But you know what, Sterling, I love that you watch. I love your mind. I love your heart for God. I can learn from you. Let's keep going. But we've got other callers that are waiting and we'll talk next week. Okay, brother. I'll God. call you next week. Bye-bye. Keith in New York. Keith, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Keith in New York, New York. Yep. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hey, how are you? Um, okay, so uh, I liked your critique of Sola Scriptura and uh, both the chaos it's caused and the non-biblical basis of it. Yeah. Uh, you, you seem to realize that because we can't come to agreement over differences that we need to have sort of like a subjectivism and kind of ignore our doctrinal differences. But... Uh, it seems to me that the Bible shows us how to settle differences in Matthew 18 and Acts 15, where the Holy Spirit guides the church to make correct decisions in councils, like in Acts 15. Okay. So, uh, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, you see the problems, and I think maybe you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Okay. Have you ever considered the claims of the Catholic Church, not getting your information from Protestants and Evangelicals, but listening to Catholics in their own words? What Evangelicals and Protestants often think the Church teaches what it actually teaches are often very, very different. Agreed. Agreed. Let me ask you something. Uh -huh. The council approach has council that... Council what? You, you said the council approach of Acts 15, right? Matthew 18, right? Right. Has that worked? Yeah. Yep. Re really? Even, even back then... In the early days, there were the Gnostics. You can read uh, Ignatius of Antioch. There were people who rejected uh, 
the Orthodox teaching, and they became Gnostics and broke themselves off from the Church. Yeah. So there's always going to be people leaving the Church, just like the Protestants left in the 1500s. Yeah. But if you look at the Catholic Church's teachings, I agree with you, there is doctrinal development. So, you, you pointed that out last week. Yeah. But you don't see a contradiction between councils. You see a clarification where things get clearer and clearer as time goes on, but you don't see splitting and splitting and splitting within the Catholic Church. You see people split off from the Catholic Church, right? but the councils, councils are guided by the Holy Spirit. So an illiterate person like me living in 16th century France doesn't have to wonder whether you know, Calvin is right or whether the Church is right or whether Luther is right. You know, most, so, God would not leave us as orphans trying to figure it out on our own when most of us are illiterate. God protected the Church to guide it into all truth as He promised, and He does it through councils primarily. Okay, uh, you said a lot there, and I would suggest that councils have done just as much damage to uh, theology and doctrine as anything. I think the Council of Nicaea uh, was not necessarily a great thing. I think that they, I think that they uh, made divergences from what the Word says. You're, you're, you're using councils to, to defend how God does it, and you're saying the Holy Spirit guides councils. I'm not sure that's true. Well, of course, we, both of this is our opinion, right? We have to look right. at what's actually real. And you're saying that it causes divisions. Well, Acts 15 caused division with the uh, Judaizers. They kicked out the Judaizers. Yeah. There were Judaizers we read about even centuries later. Right. Eventually died off, right? Yeah. They went away eventually, but there were Judaizers that got, got kicked out. The Gnostics got kicked out. There's always going to be people being kicked out because they want to pick, pick the Bible up themselves and figure out what it means. Okay, so... It's going to happen. But God but, protects the Church so that we don't have to sit around wondering. We can break off if we want, or we can, we can be with the Church of the Holy Spirit guides. Okay, what so church? What church, though, Keith? Ignatius of Antioch talked about it in the year 108 A.D., the Catholic Church. Okay. Irenaeus so, talked about it before the Council of Nicaea. He said that if you were not in union with the Bishop of Rome, by the way, he was not Roman, right? He said, if you're not in, in uh, communion with the Bishop of Rome, you cannot consider yourself orthodox. Okay. So the Holy Spirit protects the Bishop of Rome. All right. The council. So when you say uh, the Catholic Church, you're talking about the, you're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church, you're just talking about the universal body of Christ. Well, first off, a lot of Protestants think we call it the Roman Catholic Church. That's like a, a you know, Mormon is like a, a colloquial term, right? It's just the Catholic Church. There's the Latin okay, okay, rites of the Catholic right, Church. Okay, which is wait, what we wait, call wait, Keith, Catholic. Keith. There's the, also Eastern Catholic. Keith, There's all sorts of. Keith, the one all that. They're in union together. Keith, the one that the Pope is over in the Vatican, right. that church. Well, the Bishop of Rome is the actual correct term. Pope is just an anglicized version of Latin for Papa. Okay, so are you, what's important. All right, are you you know I I I went down this road once for many years with Mormons and now I'm going through it with with Christians. Now, are you telling me then are you speaking of the universal church or are you talking about the the church that has Eastern Orthodoxy and that has uh, the Roman Catholic Church where there's a Vatican and a pope? Are you talking about that Catholic Church? Okay. So you're asking about Eastern Orthodox. By the way, a lot of Protestants don't realize that Eastern Orthodox agree that the Bishop of Rome has primacy. Now, we are in discussion with them about what okay, that so exactly it's means, okay. how far So it it's Rome. Okay, so Keith, Keith, you say councils, you say yeah, that councils yeah. through the Catholic Church have established uh, theology properly and have kept the Church alive. What about the fruit? that has come as a result of this uh, elevator music discussion on how to decide what is doctrinal and, how, and what is not. What about the fruit would, of the Catholic Church? I would look, just like I would look at Acts, I would see that the Holy Spirit protected the doctrine of the Church even though Peter was a sinner. We saw Peter sin against the Gentiles. Okay, so the Church because is imperfect. The Church doesn't mean the Church is the imperfect. Holy Spirit doesn't protect, protect the doctrine. Okay, but what about when the doctrines come down from the top, papal authority and these councils, and those doctrines are really heinous. Does it matter? Well, you have to point out to me a doctrine that's really heinous. Praying to Mary? Praying to Mary? Okay, what about it? What's, what's, what do you think that means? <laughs> well, Keith, I think that it means you're somehow communicating with Jesus' mom. Is that right? Is it? Okay. So Is that right? So wait, 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 no, no. Keith. Is it right or Amazing. not? Keith? I'm answering. No, I'm oh, answering just answer yes or no. Is it correct or not 
that you're somehow the problem, co communicating. The problem is if you have a false no, supposition of what we no, mean no, no, by No, 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 no. I want to know if it's right. Is it some form of communication with Jesus' mom? Okay, it's it yes would be a or no. Communication normally. Y yes right? or no. Yes no, or no. Let me let me finish. No, you finish. say yes or no, and I'll, I'll let you finish. Revelation chapter five. Yes or no. Let me finish. No, you are on my show. Yes or right. no. Do you pray in some form or fashion communicate with Jesus' mom, Mary? I ask yes. her to pray for me. You like ask, so you, and you ask her this asking, so you are communicating, so you do communicate with her and you ask her, so with that, that's not a prayer, it's just a talking? I don't hear from her, no. I didn't say did you hear, I, ask, I said do you communicate I, with Jesus' mom? I ask her and all the things. You do communicate then, yes. I, yes. Is, yes. Yes, I ask Thank all you. the Okay, back to the old days, right? Uh, the obfuscation that religionists use to protect the stuff is just, oh, I can't get back into this. Uh, he has his right to pray to Mary. If he says he loves Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ, I love the guy, but don't call and try to spin like the Mormons have done forever. Don't start doing that now because you're always going to get caught up, except just what is what we're doing and move on from there okay let's go to tim on the oregon coast tim you're on heart of the matter tim you gotta you gotta turn off your computer yeah i got it i shut it down you're on the air brother hello let's see that was an interesting <laughs> cross-section of calls um I, I was uh i was raised calvinist and uh then uh ended up being born again in calvary chapel uh then since then, there's been a pastor in two different denominations. And I, in all of that, I was never as close to God as through all the Bible colleges, seminary, and things like that, as I am now. And it wasn't the knowledge of the Word that got me there, or those types of things. It was growing in the grace of the Lord. Oh, praise God. And, and so what I'd say is that <clears throat> I know sometimes people are kind of, they're, they're tough on you right now because they're not sure if you're moving the goalposts for what's going on. But I really enjoy the show. Uh, my family does. We love watching you and watching you sort through these things. And we're praying for you, and we appreciate it. And it's not – I just think that so many issues uh, in the church are about growing in grace and growing in, growing in faith and growing in our knowledge of the Lord through the Spirit. Amen. I think the answers are in the Word. Yeah. But I think that it's through grace. So I know we don't have much time, but there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with somebody. Um, I don't have a problem. I don't agree with it, but I don't have a problem with somebody speaking in tongues. Yeah. Um, but when they say that that's how they identify someone as being born again is ah. when they do that particular act, ah. I have a problem with that. Yeah. That's, that's not growing in grace. That's growing in an act, a physical act or a work that, that produces something where then you go, oh, that person's born again. I have just as much of a problem with somebody that would be Baptist, and if you ask them why they're born again, they say, well, I raised my hand at a meeting when I was 12. Ah. Well, that doesn't, that, that isn't salvation. They're identifying themselves with that particular act, which is something that that may be associated with particular scriptures, but they're identifying themselves with that act and not a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Tim, your words uh, couldn't have said them better. Really uh, appreciate that there's uh, people out there and they're getting it and that you could articulate that from your own mind and with all your history. It's talking about growing in grace. That is, that is so beautiful and how you brought the word in and its import in that process. Thank you so much for sharing, my friend. Have a great week. You too. Bye. Listen, we're leaving Matt in Cleveland, Ohio. We're leaving Mark in Ireland. He's calling back for it. Mark, I'm sorry, but uh, we're out of time. Next week, we're going to come back and we're going to start getting into the process of compiling the word, not to demean it, but just to show how the Holy Spirit has been working the whole time uh, uh, and, and leading the way. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. 